0: On the way in, you notice the table uh, that was manned out front, and so I just want to mention once again uh, that we are beginning our blessings in a bottle campaign for the Pregnancy Resource Center. Uh, each year, we give around $500 or more to the Pregnancy Resource Center uh, to help with the ministries they have, and it's a wonderful ministry. And I just want to encourage you: uh, take the time, stop, check that out. If you do take a bottle, make sure uh, you take care of it. You bring it back. And that blessing will continue this morning. Well, I want to ask you to turn in scriptures with me to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. The song that we based this series on simply said, There is within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with you. Peace be still. In all of life's ebb and flow. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, sweetest name I know, fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. Of course, as a church family, uh, we have been on a roller coaster this past week. Plans were changed, visits were canceled, uh, work was changed, all to take care of loved ones as our own, uh, and I like to call her our own little Debbie, uh, Baird fell and broke her leg last Sunday, had a tough surgery to repair that. And then Janie Fisher going through all that she went through as well. Uh, It's one more reason that I am so glad that we are together in all of life's ebb and flow this morning to mention the name of of Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, anybody here keep a diary? Anybody keep a a journal maybe? Maybe it's something you've done or you're thinking about doing in this new year. Maybe you're going to chart. Uh, your dietary goals or your fitness goals for the year. Maybe some of you carry a a prayer journal with you, and you write down your prayer request for the Lord, or a gratitude journal. I've known people that have done that, where every day they try to find around three things that they can thank the Lord for, and it just changes their outlook on the day. Now, be honest with me. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but... How many of you honestly have read somebody else's diary? How many of you read maybe somebody else's journal? It's, it's pretty fascinating how much you can learn about somebody else by reading stuff that is uh, unvarnished and, and vulnerable and intensely personal. And some people, you know, they, they write blogs and they'll crack open the door on their personal life to you. Uh, Some people use social media or vlogs as their public diary and they put their lives out there for everybody to see, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, thousands of years ago, before there were blogs or vlogs or social media, uh, there was an extremely wealthy man named King Solomon. And he wrote down his thoughts in his journal. And and Solomon, you need to understand, he was super-knowledgeable super wealthy, super powerful. He wasn't being a drama king. He wasn't being melodramatic. But rather, he was very skilled and and very creative and very wise. And at the end of his life, he he just was very honest. He was very transparent, very broken, and very repentant. And as an older man, he, he just gets super vulnerable, and he writes down all the mistakes that he made and all of his misguided wanderings along the way. You really ought to take a sneak peek at his journal of Ecclesiastes throughout this week in different passages than we're even going to look at this morning. Uh, and I think if you look at the last page of his diary in Ecclesiastes, it's helpful to, to see where he landed because it sheds some light on why he began this book the way he did in his journal. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13. Now, all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of every human being. I like that. It's succinct. And you see, as an old man, he's saying, listen, when all is said and done, don't do life the way I did it, because life is all about walking with God. Respect his authority. Do life his way chase after him, embrace the reality of his unrelenting love. Let him guide your steps, surrender to his grace, and find yourself in him. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 would summarize it this way. He's told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, Solomon's life began with incredible promise. In our study on Sunday morning in Sunday school, uh, you should have read his story back in, in 1 Kings. He was smart, he was handsome, and he was really, really loved by God. He was handed the keys to the kingdom of Israel by his father, King David. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, At Gibeon, the Lord even appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Just just ask me for it, Solomon, and it will be yours. And he humbly replies in 1 Kings 3, 7 through 9. You know, he says, honestly, God, I'm overwhelmed. He says this, Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in the place of my father, David. But I'm only a little child. And I don't know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people that you have chosen. A great people too numerous to count or number. So God, would you give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people. And to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? If If I could just have one request. God, just give me wisdom. You know, the Lord is, is pleased with that selfless kind of request. He's still thrilled when you and I seek wisdom from him for this life. We're told in James chapter 1, verse 5, that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And God gives it to Solomon, and we read back in, in 1 Kings, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so God said to him, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I'll give you a wise and and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. But moreover, he said, I'll give you what you did not ask for. I'll give you wealth and honor so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among other kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And when Solomon was young, when he was dialed in to that relationship with God, he just wrote some incredible stuff. Uh, He wrote the Song of Solomon, and if you've ever read it, it, it's kind of like the the steamy poetry of of the Old Testament, and it talks about the love between a man and a woman, and and the the corollary of the love of God and his people. It's just a beautiful thing that God designed, and you ought to read it. And while Solomon is chasing after God, he wrote this this, this incredible book of, of Proverbs, It just shares the godly wisdom that he received. And you need to put the book of Proverbs on your winter reading list, honestly. But you know as well as I do, and this is the first thing in your outline, it's one thing to have wisdom. It's quite another to apply it to your life. It's one thing to have wisdom. It's another to actually apply it to your life. You can know and you can espouse great principles for living. You can quote every proverb in the book of Proverbs and never actually live them out yourself. And I feel that danger all the time as a, as a preacher. In my preaching, I don't want to be disqualified in my faith because I don't live the things that I preach. You see, you can possess a godly wisdom and you could still choose to screw your life up. And Solomon's strength becomes his weakness. Instead of embracing the wisdom that God has given him, he begins to put his trust in his own intellect. And instead of pursuing after God, he makes a pursuit of happiness his God. And at the end of his life, he's saying, don't make the choices I did. Choose God. Walk with God. That's his conclusion in the matter. Now, I want you to go back to chapter one of Ecclesiastes because this is the introduction to his journal. This is how the book begins. And I want to tell you, as you read these words, they are going to grip you, okay? It's going to excite you, it's going to inspire you for this whole year to come. And you will not want to put down this book. It's what writers call a literary hook. You know, where you just read those opening lines and you just get hooked by the story and you think, man, I got to read more. This is his literary hook. Check this out. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1 and 2. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. How's that for a gripping literary hook? Looking for a motivational speaker for your next corporate gathering? Try Solomon. Looking for someone to entertain at your child's next birthday party? Uh, Solomon is your guy. These are inspiring, joyful words. Not. He uses this word meaningless, and I think it's one of his favorite words because he uses it 38 times in his journal to write about life under the sun. Now, now I've shared this with you before in a different message, but the Hebrew word there for meaningless is the word havel. It means simply a vapor, a fog. Uh, It's chasing after the wind. It's futile. It's like popping a soap bubble, and there's nothing left. Now, by the way, Solomon is the same guy that wrote some of my life verses, some of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. In fact, some of you, you probably have them on your refrigerator with a magnet. You might have them on a coffee mug or something, but they're some of my favorite words. Solomon is the one who said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And now he's saying at the end of his life, I wish I would have never stopped. I wish I would have pursued because life apart from God, it's Havel, it's, it's meaningless. How many of you remember this little toy growing up? How many of you had one of these? Yeah, uh, I, I kept one in my office for, for almost 28 years, but do you think that going through even my basement stuff, I could find this thing to show you this morning? Of course not. Um, but it is so fun even as an adult, right, to, to play with this. It's fun to watch toddlers play with this thing. They get so frustrated because they've got all these different shapes, and, and they'll have one, and they will try to force it into a place it does not fit. That little toy has, has been a great visual reminder to me of how frustrated most people are today. You see, we know people, and, and perhaps you're one of them, who are constantly searching and wondering and frustrating, think, thinking there's just something that's got to fit this spot in my life. And you look through all the pieces you have, and you wonder, am I missing something? Am I missing a piece? Because nothing seems to fit here. I've got this big, round hole in my heart, and I can't find anything to fill the void. What fills the void? And we might try... So many different things, and we might think, I thought the holidays this past year would help, but I just can't get it. And like Solomon, many of us go through life trying to, to squ- cram square pegs into round holes, into that God-shaped hole in our heart. And let me just say, when you do, you will discover, and this is on your outline as well, deep happiness and joy that God wants for you Friends, they will escape you in any other pursuit other than pursuing the love of Christ, other than pursuing God. I want you to check out in Ecclesiastes 2 some of the square pegs that Solomon tried. And I think as we'll go through these, some of these may resonate with you now. Some of them may resonate through your college years that you had, or maybe someone that you love is going through these times. He starts by saying this in Ecclesiastes 2, Uh, verses one and two, and I want to read this from the New Living Translation. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? You see, Solomon begins by saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to let pleasure drive my life. Maybe that is the missing part I'm going to party hard, I'm, I'm going to stay out late, I'm going to hit the clubs, I'm going to laugh it up, I'm just going to have a blast. And, and understand, I love parties. I love to have fun. I think our Savior enjoyed parties as well. Remember, he, he, he did his first miracle where? At a wedding. Yeah, in Cana of Galilee. A lot of times you could find him where? At dinners with sinners and tax collectors. He loved being, connecting with those people that needed his love, that needed his grace. And you know, I love to laugh. You know I love to tell humorous stories. I've been known to be a bit of a practical joker sometimes, and I love funny movies. I'll be reading a book, or at night I'll be laying in bed looking at my iPhone, watching a YouTube video, and I'll just start laughing, and Cheryl will just groan what now? Oh, you got to watch. This is hilarious, honey. And I think you know as well as I do that sometimes laughter, it just masks pain. And sometimes it masks emptiness. Sometimes the life of the party, sometimes the ones who, who seem to be the standouts in a group are the most miserable and attention-starved and, and insecure. I heard the story about a fellow who was struggling with some depression issues, and he went to a counselor, and at the end of the session, the counselor said to him, you know what? I got something that might help you. A buddy of mine gave me these two tickets to a comedy club tonight. Uh, A friend of mine told me, this new comedian is, is hilarious. Why don't you just go with me tonight? I think you could really use this to kind of pick you up. And there was a long pause, and the guy said, but I'm that comedian. Some of you know uh, Shia LaBeouf as the action hunk of the Transformer series or that YouTube video where he's trying to get everybody pumped up. Uh, in an interview with Parade Magazine, he said this. He said, sometimes I feel like I'm living a meaningless life. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. I've got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could all go away. You never know. He said, I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it and I'd be on my way. He's so close. And that's Solomon. And Solomon says, I tried laughter. I tried pleasure, you name it, but it was all an act. Well, in Ecclesiastes 2, 3, he goes on to the next square peg. He says, after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness. That really struck me when I read that this week. The only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Solomon began to think, maybe if I just get smashed, that'll be it. I'll become the party animal, and maybe that will fill this void in in my heart. And understand, Solomon, he had some cash to throw around. I mean, he could throw the biggest tailgate party. He could throw the most lavish kegger. He sent out invitations all over the place and said, you got to come to the palace tonight we got the music thumping. We've got every game on a, 100 a, on a TVs, 100-inch flat screens. We've got alcohol. We've got top chefs fixing food. It's an open bar. And, and people are arriving literally at the palace to, you know, Flo Rida's song. Remember that? Welcome to my house, baby, take control. now. I know most of you don't know that song. That's okay. We can't eat. I won't sing anymore. Anyway, that was Solomon. You know, it was party time. And a lot of people can understand what he was talking about, because there's a lot of, in our world that are doing that. And when life hurts, maybe it's not your motto, but a lot of people have the motto, just drink it, just, just snort it, just smoke it, and as a result, there's a lot of wreckage. And we can all deny that, but, but isn't that the reputation of the town we live in, of Springfield? There are people I meet from Virginia that that have heard about Springfield, Ohio, and it's a reputation that's been earned. But as you and I make an influence for Christ in this world, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's a reputation I hope this church is engaged in seeing change. We can deny, but what we believe many times is we can just fill up this hole with a square peg, and it brings frustration and it wrecks our lives and the lives of people we love. In fact, many people wish they knew then what they know now. And I'm grateful for heaven's love, and I'm always grateful for the God of second chances. Solomon goes on, verse 4. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made parks and gardens, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. In other words, he said, I tuned in to HGTV. And I just started saying, I got to have that i got to have that dream house right now. i got to have granite countertops. i got to have those updated appliances. I'd love to have an open concept because that's, that's what makes you happy in the world today. I, I just need Chip and Joanna Gaines. I just need more shiplap in my home. Then I'll be happy, right? I, I need to do a nice yard crash. I need a nice reservoir. And he said, I became obsessed with all the things of life. Thinking that his external surroundings would make him happy. You know, I, I like organizing stuff. I like doing little projects and renovations. I like woodworking. Now, I am no John Bogard. I am no Bud Townley by far. But I know as I watch what happened out west with the largest fires that California has ever known, did you see what happened on CNN as they interviewed people? They grabbed maybe one or two boxes important papers, photo albums, and they left. And all those granite countertops, all that expensive stuff, in that moment, counted for nothing. It didn't mean a thing. Now, as a side note, I find it interesting that it took Solomon seven years to build the amazing temple that he built to God. And again, you could read about that in 1 Kings. It was an amazing construction project. Seven years to build. Guess how long it took him to build his own house? Thirteen years. Twice as long as the house he built for God. Maybe it's an indication of his focus and his priorities. Well, let's move on to verse 7. He said, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings that had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Now, if you read the story of Solomon, you know he had 300 wives and 700 mistresses. Like so many men that we've recently read about in the news, this powerful man, who sought the wisdom of God. He objectified and he used women. And he said, I had everything that a man could desire. That's how, that's how messed up his life had become. You guys remember Dion Sanders? Uh, Dion Sanders had always been a, a great football player. He, he's a commentator on the NFL Network now. Uh, he was introduced uh, up north in the NFL Hall of Fame a few years ago. Uh, and some don't like him. Uh, his reputation was one of uh, brashness and showmanship on the field, uh, that primetime dance that he would always do in the end zone. But he was fun to watch. He was fun to watch on the field, and, and, and I like it. You know, when players hand the ball to the ref, like I've been through this before, But I also like watching the celebrations in the end zone. I like watching them play duck, duck, goose in the end zone. I like watching them play hide and seek with the football. Uh, But man, he was the original showman. I'm not sure how many years it's been, at least a, a decade, since he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. But Deion Sanders said, if you have a dream in your life, and your dream is all about you, There's something wrong with your dream. He said this in his autobiography. He said, everything I touched turned to gold. But inside I was broken and totally defeated. I remember sitting at the back of the practice field one afternoon away from everybody. And tears were streaming down my face. I was saying to myself, this is so meaningless. I am so unhappy. We're winning every week, and I'm playing great, but I'm not happy. I tried everything, he said. Parties, women, buying expensive jewelry and gadgets, and nothing helped. There was no peace. I had everything this world had to offer, but no peace, no joy, just emptiness inside. The Bible describes it in the first chapter of Ecclesiastes as chasing after the wind, and that's exactly what it was like. And it is, fitting that square peg into a round hole. Well, Solomon goes on in verse 9 through 11. He says, So I became greater than all those who lived in Jerusalem before me. My wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I mean, literally, Solomon never looked at a price tag in his life. He said, I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything that I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So at the end of his life, he's saying, you're not going to find happiness, and you're not going to find joy the way I searched for it. So don't let pleasures, don't let appetites in this world govern your life. Don't let your desires lead you around because apart from your creator, apart from worshiping God, life is meaningless. And that leads me to my last point. God and his wisdom, Because this is where it all rests, he really does have a great plan for your life and for mine. Sometimes we say that so tritely that I don't think we believe it. Or we, or we act as though we don't believe God has a great plan for our life. But He sent His only Son to die for us, to show us the value He placed upon our relationship with Him. Some of you have come to me with books uh, on boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and, and Dr. Townsend. Uh, Dr. Henry Cloud has a really great book out called The Law of Happiness. And it's a really great book, and it's full of biblical principles, and it's full of tons of of recent research on happiness and what makes people really fulfilled. And he says this in his book, when we're pursuing the things that don't have the power to make us happy, we're ignoring the ones that do. That's true. The research shows that circumstances in our life, they really account for less than 10% of our happiness they can make you feel unhappy or happy for a little while. Happy, you know, you get a promotion, you get a raise, you get a 4.0, you get, a, you get an A on your test, you, you make the team, you get a new phone, uh, get a new car, get a new home, and you're ecstatic for a while. But like that gallon of milk in your refrigerator with a date of January the 21st, those things have an extremely short shelf life. I mean, if you don't believe that, those of you that have kids, just look in your kids' rooms when you go home. That toy that they absolutely had to have for Christmas is probably sitting in a corner, not being played with. Or think about what you really wanted in this past year. It's probably sitting out in the garage next to your ab blaster that you got two or three years ago. Bored to death, and you thought, if I had this, but we know that happiness doesn't come from stuff, it doesn't come from external circumstances. Let me, let me just share with you a few bullet points of, of where happiness comes from. And, and, and this is from secular research. But what I love about this is, I love it when secular research confirms what God has already said in the Bible as if it's new. And God already said these things. But research finds happy people are givers. Happy people are generally generous people who live beyond themselves. Research also found happy people, they're not lazy about happiness. They're proactive people. Happy people don't wait for someday. They live in the moment. Happy people pursue goals. Like Dion said, you know, you got to have a dream that's bigger than you, that's beyond yourself. Happy people fully engage. Happy people don't sit on the edge of a pool and and dip their foot in to see how cold the water is. Happy people do a cannonball and create some waves and ripples with their one and only life. And happy people connect with others. They refuse to isolate themselves. They, They link up with other people. Did you know healthy connections, they are a better indicator of health than nutrition or exercise combined? You need to connect with other people. Happy people don't compare themselves. They're not going to play that game. Happy people think well. They fill their minds with what Paul said in Philippians 4.8 when he said, fix your thoughts on what is true, on what is honorable, what is right, what is pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Happy people are grateful people they will not cave in to a sense of entitlement and they're grateful for what they have ha- happy people forgive they don't carry grudges around or walk around with resentment happy people have a sense of god's design for their life you see we know in this brief time upon this earth we're made to live for god jeremiah 29:11 says i know the plans i have for you declares the lord Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And the the number one overwhelming thing of happy people, happy people have faith. See, happy people, people that have real joy, they walk with God. So here's my conclusion to all of this. Happy people don't waste their life chasing after happiness. Happy people chase after God, and happiness finds them. Friends, my prayer for you is like the prayer that Apostle Paul had for the church at Philippi. He said, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you can discern what is pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. So how about you? Are you leaning on your own understanding? Or are you acknowledging him to direct your paths? Are you letting the wisdom of God direct your path? Is he like that toy again? Deep within our hearts is a God-like shape, a perfect fit for Jesus in every way. No heart is too big, no heart is too small. Jesus is the answer. He fits them all. What do you say we stop chasing after the wind this year? And what do you say we chase after God with a renewed sense of purpose and passion in this year? I'm going to ask you to stay with me this morning. And friends, if you have a decision to make for Christ this day, then I want you to come. Salvation is... The scriptures say today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear the Lord and you don't harden your heart, and sometimes that's a danger we face, but don't let your heart be hard. Respond to Christ while it is still called today. Accept the salvation that he offers you through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Maybe you're ready to proclaim this is a church home today. Friends, whatever God puts on your heart, you come. I'm going to ask you to bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you just as we are, knowing that you will not let us leave the way we came. You grow our hearts through your word. You grow our spirits through our conversation with you. And Father, right now in this room, somebody is having a conversation with you. Father, you've exposed the area of their heart or life and a pursuit that, that's not worthy of your name. Father, their prayer is, Lord, just put me back on the right path. Draw me back by grace and your mercy because I've been places and said and done things that are wrong. And God, I want to honor you Father, for someone here this morning, maybe it's the first time that they're just aware that you have a great purpose for them, that your plan for them is not one of just treading water for all the days they have on this earth. You came to give us a life that is an abundant life, and it starts with them receiving you as their Lord and as their Savior. It begins here as they confess your name and as they enter the waters of baptism. Lord, I ask that you would lead them, lead each of us this day by your wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.